This week on Dig Me Out. What is this weariness that waits for you? Shrug, you press your ankle against my arm. This is the pressure that I love. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, this one is a patron-led episode. He was here last week. He's here again. You know him from... Such previous episodes as the one from last week, (laughs) when we talked about the Deftones, and other ones. His name is Stephen Musinski. Welcome back. Stephen, how you doing? I'm hanging in there. I actually have COVID. Still? We we spoke to you so long ago when you had COVID, and now you have it. You still have it. I'm worried for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I brought somebody else along with me, though, that also has COVID. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Not even I've, joking. I've, I've never been so glad we do this on Zoom. <laughs> I actually right gave now. COVID to Steve, unfortunately. Over Zoom? No. <laughs> Shit. No. Yeah. yeah, IRL last week. So it's oh. real. Yeah, so I played... I'm I'm double vaccinated. Uh, and I played a music festival last weekend in Vegas. Um, this is the first time I was in a crowded area and I'm pretty certain I got it either there or when I got back, like the day I got back and then Steve had come over the, a couple of days later, right when I was starting to feel something. And I was like, Steve, I'm, I'm not feeling so well. And then I tested positive for it like two days later. And then I was like, Steve, you better get tested. And then he tested positive for it too. So, uh, we, you were about to introduce, uh, your special guest that you brought along, your COVID you like buddy, some, your COVID buddy, My COVID buddy, <laughs> patient zero. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I brought along my friend uh, of a long, long time now, um, and you know we're here to talk about. Oh, you're not going to ask me to introduce that yet, but the band we're talking about is um, is is related to our friendship in a lot of ways and dates back to like 2003 ish 2003 2004 um and yeah vadim Tabor, covid buddy in arms <laughs> thanks for having this well, well now we have to hear the story yeah what, what was the festival and what were you doing there <laughs> oh um i play guitar in a band called poison the well uh and we were playing at the psycho vegas festival so um it was spread out over the course of like two or three stages, but it was all within these casino grounds. And they, you know, they, they recommended masking and people wore them for the most part, I would say like 70% of the attendees had masks, but um, you know, they're still just being confined in these places. And then also when I was on stage, I didn't have a mask on. Way too many germ holes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Steven, you one of those plastic shields, you know, um, <laughs> No, you wear the bubble. That would have been a cool. Yeah. 
That'd be cool on stage too. I mean, well, yeah, that actually it's funny you cool. mentioned the bubble because we played at the same time as Flaming Lips, and they probably did much better with the bubbles uh, than we would have yeah. done. They're, they're, they got their shit together. They've been on they top do. of this for decades. <laughs> they were, they were, they're COVID prepared. <laughs> Wayne Coins like I've been in a bubble for two decades. I don't, I don't need to worry yeah. about any diseases. I'm not breathing any of your air. Oh, <laughs> uh, great. Uh, I think now would be the time to introduce the record, Stephen, and also uh, the the connection that you have uh, with Vadim and uh, all that sort of stuff. So why don't you tell the audience what record we'll be talking about? Um, so invoking the Marvelous Three rule, uh, we're talking about a 2000 record uh, by a band called Ida, and the record's called Will You Find Me? And The Marvelous Vadim Three rule is was... not binding. <laughs> Uh, Vadim was in a, in, in a band, a hardcore band called This Day Forward that me and a close friend were, um, you know, kind of fanboys of, to be honest with you. And we met Vadim um, at a show that his side project was playing somewhere in 2003. And uh, my other friend, Andrew, uh, and him stayed in touch um, for quite a while. I don't know if you guys were doing it over email, probably. Or, um, at the time, because we're talking 2003. So anyway, uh, at some point in like 2004, Vadim made a mix um, of all his favorite Ida songs and mailed them uh, to Andrew. And I was jealous, so I burned a copy of that mix. And uh, that that was how I discovered the band. And at the time, you know, we were devouring as much loud, noisy, chaotic hardcore as we could get our hands on and that like consumed a majority of our listening but for some reason uh there was a few things back then that slipped through the cracks uh and this was one of them this was like a really nice nighttime album to put on to go to sleep to um you know loved putting this album on to go to sleep to well even really just that mix that that Vadim had made um until I eventually got all of the albums and then, yeah, fast forward a bunch of years later, we, we loosely kept in touch as acquaintances and then, you know, wound up both living in Southern California and we're just like, hey, we should hang out and be better friends. And uh, that's kind of been the story of the last five years for us. We've become actually really, really close. And I would consider this guy one of my absolute best friends. And this band dates all the way back to the very, very, very beginnings of that story. So there you go. Nice. Uh, trivia time. Vadim. Would you like to take a guess at how many members have been in Poison the Well? Uh, yeah, it's quite a lot. I would guess probably 50. 40, according to Wikipedia. Jeez. <laughs> you're, you're up there in rat territory. Yeah, this is like rat or uh, or L.A. Guns uh, territory. Are there two with... touring versions of Poison the Well right it's, now? No. Just is the there Vadim's poison, the <laughs> poison the well and regular poison the well? So to be, be awesome. to be to be clear, I I am a live uh, guitarist for the last five years. So I don't know if that technically even constitutes uh, a, a member. Am I on the Wikipedia? The Wikipedia looks like a a chart of economic upturns and downturns for the 20th century over <laughs> multiple continents. I mean, I've never seen. There are like seven rhythm guitarists just in the 2000s. Like, is it? I mean, I'll tell you what, you can look up a band a, Steve has played in called Shy Halud, and they have more ex members. I guarantee you. I, I, 100% was waiting. For I you to guarantee say that. you. 
If you look it up, your mind's going to be blown. <laughs> is this like a spinal tap situation? Has everybody died before you? <laughs> well, they're both from South Florida, so who knows what's going on in Florida, right? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's the truth. That's the truth. So, Jay, had you heard Ida before? I don't know. No, I haven't. I had never heard the band name. Didn't ring a bell. Album cover, nothing about it seemed familiar. I couldn't even, um, well, we'll get into the review, but like couldn't even guess maybe what time period of the 90s we were going to be jumping into. I Same. Um, when I saw the album cover, you know, I was trying, sometimes you try to guess what the mm-hmm. band's going to sound yeah. like. I was like, this looks like like early 2000s like Raina Maria like uh like uh indie uh something on that spectrum um I couldn't uh I couldn't quite place it yeah. um but I was like I know this is I know this is like American that's all I can that's all I can tell <laughs> is that this is American I know these are humans I know these are people Definitely not robots. It's not a bad guess at all, based on the album. I was gonna say you're not too far off with Rainer Maria. Yeah. 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 Um what was the label that they were on? I forgot. I forget. Well they were they did stuff on polyvinyl, which is polyvinyl, that's it. Yeah. Which they which polyvinyl released Ida too, so that makes sense. There you go. See my mind, it uh it connects those things. Strange. So did you guys see the band play live? I did. Okay. Did you Vadim? I don't think I you did, did not. Right? No, I never got to see him. Yeah, I got lucky. I almost saw them twice. Um, I was supposed to see them in Florida. I lived in Florida for a hot minute and in the Tampa area, and they were supposed to play, um, but they canceled. Um, and we didn't know that until we got there. And that's, I ended up seeing an instrumental band called Emery Real, who was really great instead. Uh, but then a couple months later, I moved back to Michigan. And on the same tour, uh, I believe, because it actually wasn't, it was maybe a month or so, um, and caught them at a record store in Dearborn, Michigan, called Stormy Records. They've had a couple different locations. I want to say this was their second location. Um, and it was amazing. It was, it still is to this day, one of my top five favorite shows of all time. The only thing that could have made that show better for me is if I had known the material more intimately. I, I was still absorbing the material and didn't know the songs as well. But like, it was one of those nights where, you know, everyone who was in that room was there because they knew what Ida was and, and, and the sole attention was on the band. Like, you know, everyone was as quiet as a mouse. And if you looked around the room at any given moment, you could just see so many different people singing or singing along and just kind of like really in, and most people were just on the floor. They told people in, in the front, especially so people in the back could be to sit. And I was one of the sitters. And so, yeah, it was, it was incredible. Like I've to this day, I've never seen such a more intimate and intently focused live performance. And I am extremely grateful for having been able to witness that. Excellent. Uh, do you know much about their history? So I don't have to read it off of Wikipedia? 
No, go ahead and, and fire it off Wikipedia. And if there's anything that we feel the need to color in, we'll do so. Uh, well, I know they're from uh, Brooklyn, New York. Before it was cool, uh, they st- formed in 92. Uh, I guess Brooklyn's always been cool. But uh, before it became uh, the uh, the epicenter in the 2000s of, uh, of all things cool. Um, the band began in 91. Uh, Daniel Littleton and Elizabeth Mitchell started as a duo. And fun fact, uh, Elizabeth Mitchell began as a duo. Well, not began, but her one of her first, uh, I guess, uh, things musically was she was a duo with Lisa Loeb. And they were called Liz and Lisa. Guess that didn't work out. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't that's I pretty that. cool. And then uh, that... Also, they both played on the the Lisa Loeb's Stay, like her big single. Oh, Daniel really? And Elizabeth. Yeah, Daniel and Elizabeth both were on on the song as the other musicians besides Lisa Loeb. So they're part of the Nine Stories, Lisa Loeb and the Nine Stories on that debut album. Perhaps. Interesting. At least that song, yeah. Yeah. They were also joined by um, who else was in the is in the band? Uh, Carla. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up this last name. Shickle, Shickley? Shickel? <laughs> I don't know. That's the bad. That's the hard name. It's Gene Cook and Ruth Keating are also members. Michael Littleton was in the band for a period. They've put out records between 94 and 2008. Uh, 94 was the debut Tales of Brave Ida. Uh, 96 is I Know About You, 10 Small Places in 97. And then the album, which we're reviewing, Will you find me in 2000? This invoked the marvelous three rule, which is a band from two th- an album from 2000 can be reviewed if the album if the band put out an album in the 90s previously. That is the marvelous three rule. We do not go past 2000. Someone tried to go past 2000, whoa, whoa, and whoa. I I put the foot down on that one. I said no, no, sir. There are rules here. <laughs> yes, because at least you can justify it by saying maybe this album was recorded in 99. But uh, no, 2000 is a, is just a bridge too far. Uh, then they released uh, The Braille Night in 2001, Shh in 2002, Heart Like a River in 2005, and Lover's Prayers in 2008. There's been some singles, some live albums. They've appeared on compilations. And um, are they still a band or are they all off doing other things? Anybody know? They've been pretty silent, as best I can tell, for for a long time. Vadim? Yeah, I think that they put the Ida name kind of to a rest for now. But um, Elizabeth Mitchell, she does, uh, you probably are reading about it right now on Wikipedia, she does uh, children's albums. And that's something that she has started towards the end when Ida were were still active that I I was familiar with. And I bought the first one, and it was really interesting to hear them do these children's songs like in in their way and then i guess that took off for her because a few years back i was just watching the list of grammy nominees i don't really watch the grammys and i saw elizabeth mitchell and i was like what that's crazy so she was nominated for a grammy for one of her children's albums yep in uh it was little seed it was for the for the 2012 grammys she might have had some other ones in there but yeah there's just been a christmas album there's uh, multiple. She has her own label and has released uh, a number of records on there for uh, kids, which is cool. Let's get over to to uh, Patreon. 
which we'll talk about the poll at the end of the episode. But what were the comments for this episode that Stephen was uh, was pounding the 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 pavement over at Discord, trying to get people to uh, to say some things about this record? He was putting it out there. Be careful what you wish for, Stephen. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Uh, Jeremy Men said, I've never heard of this band before. Pitchfork's, Pitchfork's review is harsh. Unduly not sure. Seems like a review written by a metal punk fan forced to review an album, re- acoustic album of love songs. I'm checking this out now. I did go back and, and read that review that he mentioned, which came out in 2000 when the album came out. I remember Pitchfork being very snarky back then. So um, it made sense. I mean, this is a website that once gave a review with just a poop emoji i mean so they some of those reviews back in the early 2000s were were pretty obnoxious that they gave um it seems like maybe we'll be the second result when people search for this album now yeah there you go (laughs) that would be Uh, nice Willie Dillon said, this is a very pleasant album, but I'm not a big fan of the vocals. I would have liked some more variety on the album. I don't feel I can't, I can rate it, so I won't. Uh, <laughs> All right, Willie, way to take a stand. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, Phil Fleming, this is definitely not my cup of tea. That being said, the louder moments make the quieter moments better. Shrug, turn me on. Man in mind, pass the past. Firefly, don't get sad. Uh, Patrick Tester brought up some stuff. And I'm not going to read because I don't know what it has to do with. This has nothing to do with this. <laughs> we started talking about the Bob Willis and Texas Playboys. I don't understand what that has to do with this. But he said, uh, what an unexpected album from Mr. Gutteral. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, he's uh, referring to the metal bands that I sing in. Uh, okay. You're Mr. Gutteral? I guess I'm Mr. Gutteral. Yeah. I, I, you, your voice does sound a little deeper with the COVID. It does. (laughs) Uh, It really seemed to say something about you more than it says about the 90s. Wow, he's turning this back on you. I dig introspective music, and this album does not let up on that focus at all. Vocally, it's really mesmerizing. I like both vocalists and appreciate that the female singer keeps the histrionics at bay for almost the whole album. But what really hooks me are those spacey guitar experiments. Kyle Bittner said, I think this is a great album and falls within my love for the singer-songwriter albums. Sure, it's soft and slow, but sometimes that is exactly what we need. The vocals and melodies are beautiful. My only complaint is the length, as it does drag a bit in places. There are some nifty guitar flourishes throughout, with the highlight being Shrug. Even though it's a tad too long, I'd give it a worthy album. So there you go. The comments from the Patreon peanut gallery. Jay, let's get into it. Tell me one thing you liked about Will You Find Me by Ida. I really enjoyed that the constraints that they seem to put in place, like really, you know, playing softer, being minimal, um, focusing on a couple things at any one time. And then when they do let things get open up more and get louder, it really makes a difference or even just i mean shoot sometimes just bringing another instrument in when you have that much constraint around what you're doing and kind of just keeping everything tamped down and just really controlled when you add in like one little guitar note like it makes a big difference so i really like listening to them play with that 
um, concept, especially for a, for us, you know, reviewing a lot of nineties records, this doesn't, it doesn't sound like a nineties record at all. So, I mean, it wasn't, it's a 2000, but still it's, it's kind of refreshing. I think for, you know, a lot of what we listen to on the show tends to be either very layered or loud and aggressive or angsty. Um, it's really not any of those things. You know, there's not a lot of like drum loops or even when there's atmospherics, you know, it's still constrained, like restrained and really uh, serving a purpose, you know, and you, you can pick a, you can pick everything out that's being, that's happening, you know, it never gets so dense where you're sort of lost in what's, who's playing what and what's going on. There's also some nice unexpected, especially a song like Down in Your Back, I think just some interesting like ways that those harmonies overlap each other and some of those guitar notes especially in that middle break section of that song that guitar part yeah it's like so weird it's just like one note off i'm not sure what's going on there but it's like not the note you expect to be played which again like every little detail when you're when you're that controlled and like really keeping the volume down like every single little thing you do makes a huge impact so even you know every note choice um every harmony um you know you, uh, with repeated listens i could start to pick out like when it was the male and female doing harmony sometimes there would be multiple female harmonies sometimes there would be none at all like and all those choices again just uh, make a huge difference Nobody. Yeah, I, I had some, you know, contemporaries or influences that popped in the mind, but they tended to be, you know, early 2000s or maybe late 90s. So like a band like Verbo came to mind, which uh, vocally is a little bit like this, but they're, you know, much louder. Um, Elliot Smith obviously came to mind with the first song and just that, that singing style and that, you know, sort of quiet, somber delivery. And then obviously I heard the least lobe without you even mentioning that they had played together, um, particularly on the songs where it's, um, seems to be more just focused on um, the female's voice and um, a song like The Radiator or Triptych where it's a little simpler, less harmonies, mm -hmm. a little folkier. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's, you know, pretty, other than those references I just made, it's a pretty unique sound. It's not, like overly emo or dramatic it's not overly folky it's sort of like it's not you know americana it, it's like in this middle unique space that is unique uh i think to them which was uh again you know kind of unexpected and refreshing to hear what about you timmy 
Did you just call me Timmy? I did. <laughs> that's the first time in the history in 556 oh, oh, episodes. Not, oh, and on the show it is, but not. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not in real in real life, but that's that's uh stuff. Don't do that again. Um I'm drinking aged tequila, so. Oh, crazy man. That's what happens. That's what happens. Uh what most people have mentioned, which I will back up, which is the the harmonies and the vocals are what make this really unique and interesting. Um, from the opening track, you get that very dark uh, in sort of minor uh, male-female vocal going on with some really interesting, like you mentioned, the way they overlap and and just the choices that they make in terms of the melody are, are odd. What it reminded me of, I don't know, I, I know that there are multiple people singing. Um, so it's Daniel Littleton... And then I think that's the male vocal. And then Elizabeth and Carla both sing. So that's how you get the three vocals. So Daniel reminds me slightly of Jordan Zadrozny from Blink of the Star at times. He's got that like pop sensibility in his vocal, but it also is like you said, it's got a little like somberness to it, um, which is what I think of when I think of uh, Jordan's melodies and stuff. He often gets these really sunny, you know, pop orchestrations but then his vocal and his the how his voice works it's often uh kind of melancholy and that's what worked for me on a song like down on your back um another song that i i feel like really nails what this band does which is really utilizing a lot of interesting acoustic instruments which is like turn me on which reminded me of like if if like a if like a jazz band tried to play a trip hop song like it has this trip hop rhythm to it with the bass that repetitive bass line there's this little bit of a distortion going on in, in the pre-chorus that builds up um it almost reminded me there was a band in the 2000s called National Skyline um Ooh. that played around with acoustic and electric uh, instruments combining them and that song reminded me of of them in some ways he had a he had a because of his vocal it sounded a little bit like um, I think Jeff Garber was the, the singer for that band stripped as you are just had that feel like I, I liked when this band got into spaces where it was a little trippier, a little, there was some noise going on. Um, Cause I'm not someone who listens to a lot of singer songwriters. Uh, it's just never been like a comfortable space for me. I actually get a little weirded out. Like, I feel like I'm, it's like too intimate for me. I think we've had this discussion <laughs> before. Like, I don't I, know if we have. I didn't I, know this I, about you. It's, it's like, 
I don't want to be that intimate with. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we have. Yeah. With yeah. lyrics. Some, I, I know we've talked about this with some lyrics. Yeah, like sometimes I'm just like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, uh, let's just. We just met. We just met. We just, yeah, exactly. Um, especially live. <laughs> I, I, I will get like physically like yeah. uncomfortable when there's like somebody just with an acoustic guitar sitting in front of you pouring out their heart and i'm like i gotta get out of here this is this is too intense <laughs> so i liked it when you know on a song like um like shotgun uh they brought yes. in these really nice electric piano parts yeah that's got that, a little r&b flair to it too yes um it's it's got the brushes on the drums uh the harmony's a little higher they're singing a little bit higher in their range on that one and it just that to me like nails what I like about this band, as opposed to some of the stuff, especially on the on the last half, it feels like it sort of becomes centered around just a vocal and a instrument, and it's not as layered as some of the stuff on the first half of the record. That to me is is where my sweet spot is is when you have multiple vocals working and you have multiple instruments. And I looked at the, I mean, if you go to the Wikipedia page and you if you don't have the album, you look at like all the instruments being played on this. Yeah, it's. It's a lot. I mean, Bernie Worrell shows up from Parliament. Like what? Nice. <laughs> what? What is that? How does that happen? Really? Uh, yeah, he plays Wurlitzer and Moog synthesizer. Oh wow, nice. So it's, uh, it's never overwhelming though, right? It's kind of no, like and everything yeah. finds pops and pops in and out. It's not like everything at once. I mean, it would have been hilarious if he showed up and just started laying down some Parliament <laughs> Wurlitzer lines and, yeah, yeah. and Moogs <laughs> all of a sudden and in halfway through a song. But uh, no, I mean, he completely like reads the room and 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 brings interesting things. Uh, I I don't I don't know that I could actually pick out where the Moog is on this. Um, I just know that there's interesting sounds that are happening because like somebody's credited with playing Salt Packet. Well, I assume that's the fever. That's 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 the you know for a shaker sound. Yeah, I I, I get that. But um, yeah, there's a lot of extra instruments on here, and they're all used in really interesting um, ways. So that's stuff that worked for me. Let me toss it to you guys. I mean, you're our guests here, uh, Steve. You're our, you're a suggestor. Uh, what may what uh, works best for you on this record that um, made you want to bring it to uh, us to listen to? Um, well, you know, I definitely wanted to bring something, um, different to the table than I have brought in the past. Um, that's definitely showcased a totally different side of, uh, my listening. And, you know, this, this band goes way back and is very near and dear. And I think for me, it's always been about the vocals. It's, it's been about the melodies that have really hooked me from the beginning and kept me. And if, and if I go through this and kind of pick out the songs that I like the most, it's almost always the vocal melody that it can be traced back to what's missing from, the, from those that I don't latch onto as heavily. Um, and then once the melody is there, once I'm hooked in by those vocals, the instrumentation just kind of over time has like slowly revealed itself. And they're just, they're just a band that has the ability to, kind of take the ball and run with it too. Uh, they have three officially released live recordings and um, on two of those three, a lot of these songs show up and, and you can listen to one version to the next and kind of notice like, okay, they didn't have 
whatever was making that sound this night, but they had this other thing and, you know, they'll really play around with extending the intro and kind of like really letting the band get set and ready before they drop in. And, uh, it's, it's all so smooth and seamless and they're able to hit these harmonies live, uh, just as well, if not better in some cases. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's one of those things where like, I thought I knew this record super well. And then I was nerding out about it. And this is going to sound like I'm dropping a name here and forgive me if it does, but I was riding in a car with Jonah Matrenga. Uh, and I just happened to ask him if, if he liked Ida and he was like, yeah. And he started freaking out about a song from this record called Encantada track 13. When he started going nuts about it, honestly, I was like, I don't, it hit me then. I was, this was somewhere in like 2008. And I was like, do I even know that song? Like, you know, I said that this was like a nighttime sleepy album. And, and so, you know, it's quite possible that I never made it that far into the record back then. But, you know, I was able to kind of redigest that song and have it be like a, a late bloomer favorite. Same with Triptych, really. Uh, that song was a, was a late bloomer, kind of a sleeper track for me. Um, and yeah, I don't know. This band is never they've never they've never bored me, and they are they're for me. It's the perfect way to kind of retreat from the loud noise and distortion from most of what I listen to. You know, whether that's rock, punk, metal, uh, hardcore, or any any of the above, really. So yeah, I don't know. These songs feel just so well crafted and well thought out. And like you said, Jay, everything kind of has its place and I don't feel like they're ever trying to overwhelm anything and, you know, things kind of creep in and out and they know when to, when to lay back and when to let something shine and they know when to experiment and, and, and kind of push the boundaries a little bit. And more often than not, it works for them, but there are, there are a few spots here and there on this record that, uh, especially put under a, a more critical microscope, I, I kind of see some some holes. But anyway, I hope I answered the question. Wanna, you want to take a stab at it, Vadim? Yeah, sure. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait. You can't just uh, drop a Joe, Jonah Madrenga, uh <laughs> we were hanging out in a car. I mean, that would be like, so I was riding uh, with Dave Grohl to the supermarket, and we were t- like... <laughs> I was like, I don't hey, even Dave, know have you ever how- heard of Ida? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how that happened. Like we, he, so he used to. Were you in the same date, Uber at this by chance, or? No, he used to date a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, and okay. I think when their relationship was getting rocky, 
he needed a ride from the airport. And I think she reached out to me and was like, Hey, do you want to pick Jonah up from the airport? He was flying in to play this fest, this, this strange little fest that happens in central Michigan or did for several years called dirt fest. Yeah. He's playing that particular, I want to say it was 08. And, uh, my friend just randomly, and I was a huge fan. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go pick up Jonah and try not to bother him too much about how much of a fanboy I am. And yeah, it was really nice. We ended up, uh, I took him to and from the fest and then he stayed at my house. We went and saw an X-Files movie the next day and he played in my <laughs> basement uh, of the house I was sharing with my girlfriend at the time. Oh yeah, and then we lived well, together for six years and <laughs> he was my roommate and then he was, uh, I was his best man at his wedding and then uh, we went to Cabo together and we rode dolphins. That's the thing about Jonah though. He's always tried to create an atmosphere where he's just a dude he's just a dude he wants to hang out he wants to nerd about music um and he's always been super accessible that way i know like i've seen him at venues where he's ended his set and then said all right like in about 20 minutes or so uh i'm gonna play in the back off of the pa system while the while they're closing up uh the bar and if you guys want to just hang out and listen to me play a few more songs um so i don't know yeah he's he's he, okay. That's Kawhi said. All I don't right. want to sound like All I'm right. dropping his name. You're hanging out with He's Bob. available. <laughs> He's hanging out. Okay. Don't have rules. Vadim. Hey. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Hey, um, I, I really enjoyed hearing everything that you guys just said. That was, I mean, you pretty much encapsulated uh, everything um, that was on my mind as well. Oh, well, so. we haven't gotten to the second half of the show where we tear <laughs> everything down. So just wait. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can just reiterate a, uh, a lot of the same things, you know, like the harmonies are what stood out to me. So I heard I heard Ida for the first time in, um, I think it was 2000 or 2001. So right around the time that this record had been released. And I was instantly drawn to the harmonies. One thing I will say about the harmonies that hasn't been said yet that, that I think gives it a really interesting um, sound is that it's one male and two female singers and a lot of times you don't think about that you know you hear like all va- all male harmonies like in the beach boys or the queen or something or like all female harmonies but it does give it a, a, a really nice contrast especially with uh daniel littleton um tenor like he's got this really beautiful tenor and and that's crazy you mentioned blinker the star because i listened to them earlier today and it's just like such a like weird band <laughs> and national skyline i haven't heard that name mentioned in forever so that was cool um, but I, I've really love, aside from their harmonies, um, their instrumentation is just really well done. They, they do keep it sparse a lot, but when they, when they have multiple instruments coming in, they really know how to kind of build on an idea and create this, this atmosphere and environment and, you know, that shows on, on uses of like melodica and things like that throughout the record. Like it, um, it's just, they're very good with dynamics, you know, and I think that this particular record, why I like this one and and the Braille Night, which was recorded in the same sessions, is that they had a major label budget. So they were signed to Capitol Records for this brief period, and then they got dropped before the record was even able to come out. But they were able to have this budget, so they were actually able to make their sound how they heard it, which if you listen to their earlier records in the 90s, it didn't feel like it was fully there yet. It wasn't fully realized. Their songs may have been pretty realized at that point, but they didn't really capture the dynamics of that, you know, very gentle singing and then like the very gentle instrumentation. So 
on Will You Find Me, they do a really great job of contrasting those sounds where they have the really stripped down songs. And then also when they get a little bit louder and they kind of rock, you know, like you guys mentioned, like in, you know, in Turn Me On and like in Shrug, like they can rock out if they want to and they, and they get experimental and stuff. But uh, this album is a, is a good representation of all of those things. One thing I want to piggyback on real quick, Vadim, is the the song Shotgun. I know, Jay, you commented on the electric piano use in that song. This is a song that actually was um, on the first record, Tales of Braida, from 94. And they circled back and revisited this song on the major label budget and were able to add stuff like like those electric pianos. Um, if you listen to... I think I think that's a great song for anyone that's curious to hear the more stripped-down um, bare bones version of Ida, like that song, like you said, Vadim, the songs were probably fully realized, but maybe the production and the ability to kind of work with that st- sort of stuff wasn't, and Shotgun's a perfect example of that. Maybe I'm too young Maybe I'm too young Maybe we're too young To And also bringing Kay in, even though her songs, I think, are my least favorite songs on the record, they're very unique. I just don't particularly love the kinds of vocal patterns that she chooses for her particular songs. But she knows how to harmonize really well with the married couple, you know, like she's just a really good like third voice that's in there. And then they do that on her songs as well. Like they really kind of like know how to work their voices in in such a way that like you can listen to and you're like, oh, this is. This is Ida. Um, the addition of Kay, I thought, was was really great to the band. I also think the similarities between her voice and Elizabeth Mitchell's are are quite uncanny. I don't think most people would even notice, um, especially in because they always usually are always harmonizing with one another. But for the three K song, so Tim uh, Carla S with the last name that you didn't know how to pronounce and neither do I, so I'm not going to do that. Kelly uh, Shekel. She just goes by. She just goes by K. K. Period. Like that's her name. She has solo records. Um, but uh, yeah, she has track three, "This Water," track eight, "Man in Mind," and track twelve, <clears throat> "Firefly." Those are those are the three K lead vocal written songs yeah i also want to say um when i was getting into ida i also got really into low and there's a lot of similarities between those two bands and they have a history together so ida and low you know they both have that male female who happen to be a couple um vocals and then there's another band called secret stars with uh jeff arena that they they actually cover uh, their each other's songs and and they're very similar too so this was almost like a little mini scene um of bands that had a similar sound that that uh i was really into ida was one of them well i struggled to, to classify them because at first i was like oh this is slowcore and then you get to songs like shotgun and and some other ones You're like well this is not 
you know, this isn't Galaxy 500 anymore. Uh, this There's a little bit more going on here. And so while Low was something that came, and there was a band that we did many, many years ago called Acetone that uh, had a similar, like, quiet, slowcore vibe, um, but didn't have the harmonies or interesting instrumentation or songwriting or uh, both of us did not like that record. It had all but, the constraint without all the delivery. Yeah, it was Strangely delivery. enough, <laughs> I did like that record. <laughs> <laughs> well... There's something for everyone, even the ones for records we don't like. Uh, some people find them and, <laughs> and like them. Uh, but uh, the instrumentation reminded me of like the American Music Club record we did mm. uh, a couple years back in terms of like the reverbed piano that comes in on a song, um, the 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 shuffle drums that show up here and there. Um, there is, I think there's a melodica on, on yeah. the radiator, which I really liked. Yeah. And that has like two guitars pan left and right that are both picking, but they're in slightly picking different patterns. Um, so I was trying to like pay attention to like where they were overlapping and where they weren't, which, um, was a nice use of, uh, of, you know, minimalist that could be easily overdone with too many instruments. So Stripping it down to just that allows you what to really like. What song is that that you're speaking uh, of? On the radiator. Radiator. Yeah, I think it's. I don't think it's through the whole song, but there's a part of the song where there's two guitars. One's a little bit drier, and one's a little bit more like. I don't know if it has like a more, a little more chorus or reverb on it or something like that. But and the and the patterns don't. They kind of match up, but then they don't match up, which is nice because it c- creates a little dissonance between the two guitars. Uh, but I. You know, all those instruments are really what kind of make the record in terms of keeping when the, when they do utilize them, it keeps the songs interesting. I did have a trouble with, I think I mentioned earlier, like some of the songs on the back and don't utilize as many instruments. I feel like they kind of front load a lot of that in the first nine songs or so. And then those last five, there's a little bit less instrumentation going on that I found interesting. Either or that, or they kind of repeated what they had already done. Whereas the first half, they kind of like really pick and choose um, a lot of the sounds, and it made it a lot more interesting. Jay, was there stuff for you? I mentioned about those last five songs not necessarily working for me. Were there stuff for you that didn't work on this record? Yeah, I think I'm generally with you. Maybe slightly different songs second half is a little weaker although i think the record is just spotty for me uh i think the songs i don't connect with as much are triptych it feels just kind of like a generic folky ballad like when they don't when it's just like one vocal and kind of a straightforward song it doesn't work nearly as well for me um I think even the radiators like that outside of the accordion part or the, mm-hmm. um, so they really need that extra, I think instrumentation and sort of layer craft, you know, on top of the, some of the material to make it pop. I, I do like the uh, man in mind and even firefly that are a little bit more piano dominant. Really? Um, just because they, they pop and I can at least 
they have some tempo and I can, um, they just feel like little breaks in the record, which I don't I struggled mind. with that. Just the tone of the piano on Man in Mind is so like in your face. Yeah. It's so bright that I felt like it was on a, from a different, like it almost, uh-huh. it almost sounds like a, um, I know it didn't exist at the time, but like if you go into GarageBand now, there's like preset MIDI yeah. keyboard parts. Yeah. And like it, that riff sounds like it would be, cause it's just, it's, I felt like it needed to be like an octave down or something because mm. it was so bright and strident. I just, it, the rhythm threw me off. Like the whole thing just kind of did not sit with me. I can, I, I hear what you're saying. It, it didn't, I, it doesn't need to be four minutes and 37 seconds long. I think no. as for me, even at like treating it as an interlude, you know, maybe it's a, a, you know, one and a half, two minute long little piece of music that breaks up the record. I think it could work. I just thought when they go really sparse, that was one of the better examples of that, of just right. gotcha. piano dominant, one lead vocal. There's some subtle, like, I think, bass drum or floor tom in that that makes a big difference um in terms Mm -hmm. of giving emphasis but yeah i think they they really need you know to bring those extra instruments those extra layers to keep you know the songs really compelling for the full length um and it's spotty you know there's just um either you know a song where it's like well i kind of heard this one already or i heard this this idea already or this is just too folky and not quite it's just you know there's a couple tracks that just sound a little bit like album tracks off a Lisa Loeb album. You know, they're just not remarkable in terms of like what this band is capable of. Right. Um, or on par with what they're capable of, I guess is a better way to say it. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the, my critique of it, the moments I, I, I didn't love. Yeah. I struggle with the length of some of the tracks like May Maybell, which is six forty something. Yeah. Like, it's gotten really nice harmonies. I liked the little pitter patter rhythm thing that's happening, but it, there's like two minutes of that song that didn't need to be there. And same thing happened with shrug. Like it was the first time they introduced drums and there was a shaker and it has a groove. There's even like a little guitar solo, but like two and a half minutes in, I'm like, okay, (laughs) what's the second half of the song? And then it's just like this jam which is fine, but split that into like two songs and do like an A and a B or something because that first half is really good. But then I don't know what the second half of that, what, this is not a jam band. I don't need them band to like (laughs) jam for me. I I like the idea of them like loosening up and it getting weird and spacey for a bit, but 
I think by the end of the hour of listening to the record, I totally forgot that moment had happened. I think if this album was trimmed down to more of a 45 minute, 40 minute album, moments like that would really stand in your mind after you finished it. Like, oh, that part in the middle where they just, things get really weird and spacey and echoed out. Like that was kind of cool. And, you know, it kind of popped in with this piano, you know, piece, but because there's, I think so many full songs or sections of songs in there that are a little too slow, a little too basic. You forget Mm -hmm. those moments that could be exceptional if the record was shorter. This is a perfect example of, of the CD format maybe affecting they were the using runtime. those uh those big label dollars man i know yeah they gotta fill if, that cd up if that if so if you if you're dealing with like a 44 minute vinyl record that jam would have been the perfect end to like the first half of the record and then you flip it over and you start over mm-hmm. but as it is it's the fourth song out of 14 so right you're right once you get to the end of it you're like i don't remember what you know i'd have to listen yeah. to it a couple times to remember that that happened for you guys steven Vadim, is there anything on here that doesn't work for you? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, there certainly is. I want to get back to Maybell, though, at some point. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that the B-side of the record is is fraught with with holes. I, I'm definitely with you on Man in Mind. That piano, sometimes I'm just not in the mood for that especially on a headphone listen like that comes in and you're just like wow i didn't notice it as much when i was just listening to speakers but when i put my headphones on i was like whoa precisely i'm pretty sure i can remember the very first time i ever heard that song through headphones and just being like whoa holy shit um (laughs) that song um and firefly past is past the past georgia even the last song sometimes doesn't you know like it's a little too baroque too baroque for me circle it back to uh jonah's whole point about encantada was that like this is a moment on the record where elizabeth mitchell is singing by herself and she's not relying on the harmonies and you get a really really good sense of the truth strength of her voice because um right around two minutes and 39 seconds i even wrote it down she hits this high note that she sustains for like a solid 15 seconds and then she sings it again and then she like toys with it and and you know goes up and down and and really just without being too showy just was really like hey check it out i can i can actually really fucking sing and it's just so beautiful it's it's really so beautiful but you got to have the patience to sit through you know two minutes and 39 seconds of a little bit more bare bones of a track but i think if you were to trim the b side of the record and get to that song much quicker i think it would probably have a different effect on you but, you know, yeah, we talked about the K songs, Man in Mind, Firefly. Um, I appreciate the piano forward approach and the breaks that they do provide in the record, like Jay said. But at the end of the day, like they just don't get their hooks in me quite like most of the other songs do. I mean, this, for me, one through seven, tracks one through seven are just absolutely stellar. And then, and then it's not until after that that I, I can start to kind of pick apart some of the pieces. And I mean, for me, I love it. I'll, I'll just leave it on and let it roll. Um, none of these songs bother me other than maybe Man in Mind through headphones uh, to a level, you know, to where I feel like, oh, that's a real stinker. Like, I'll just roll with it. But putting it under a critical lens, like 100%, absolutely see some spots in the B-side. What about you, Vadim? 
Yeah, man in, man in mind is a little tough. I mean, sometimes when I when I would fall asleep to this album, when that would come on, like I'd be like, man, I'm, like it's like skippity hoppity, like you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm it's definitely not what I want to hear the rhythm when I'm falling asleep. But it was interesting, like with a with a lens now looking at the at the record, like to find the interesting things about it. And there's a cool like polyrhythmic feel in the way that the piano is played because the left and the right hand are doing something, something different. So, I mean, there's, I, I do have a funny thing I want to say about that song specifically in a man in mind. There's a part where Kay says, um, I will try to be kind. And I always think she's going to say, I will try to rewind on the second one. The, the blockbuster thing like it's been i that's the way i've heard it since the first time i've i've heard the record she's gonna say i will try to be to rewind after i will try to be kind um i, I disagree with jay about about triptych um you know obviously it's taste you know but uh it does start out like that one is going to be just a like a pretty uh regular folky song like it actually kind of sounds like jewel or something but they're there's a middle section in that song that I feel like showcases perfectly what Ida is capable of, which is taking the, these like really pretty vocals and putting them to just like something that starts out happy and then going into this, like it's like a, a chromatic descending chord progression um, when they say, I can't fix what's wrong. And to me, that that little section is probably my favorite part of the entire album. So I just want, I wanted to like holler for that song. <laughs> um, but Overall, I agree with what everybody said. Um, definitely, definitely a lengthy record. It definitely could have been cut, uh, could have shaved off a few of the songs. Uh, the first half is definitely stronger than than the second half. And for all the material that is on this, they still had another full album's worth from that recording session, from from that Capitol Records budget. So the, the next record um, called The Braille Night is all songs also that were recorded at the same time. So who knows? You know, it's like a use your illusion one and two type situation. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe they had too much and didn't need to do as much as as they did with it. But I'm just glad are. to hear they spent all that advance. When yeah. yeah. Another another uh, tale of of record label woe from the '90s that uh, yeah. we've heard so many times. And that I oh, just want to point uh, out the, the next record is only ten songs. Hmm. So they went. Maybe we put too many songs on the last one. <laughs> we might, or or we—that's all twenty-four songs we recorded. Okay, so real quick, let me just let me just uh, give proper due to the song Maybell, track two. Um, okay, that song is is actually an homage and restatement of the traditional song "Are You Tired of Me, My Darling," which I believe, uh, and, and specifically, Ida looked up to the Carter family version mm-hmm. of the song which I believe comes from the thirties. Um, yes. The Carter family, uh, which was uh, covered by uncle Tupelo on their first record. Ah, interesting. Okay. So, so Maybell Carter was the matriarch and founding member of the Carter. Ah, family. Yes. So, hence the name. Um, and you know, it, they, they, uh, they changed up the lyrics um, or, you know, kind of, it, it's really, like I said, it's an homage and restatement. It's definitely not a cover. Um, but they used to cover the traditional version um, oftentimes at their shows. And, and on two of those three live recordings that are out there, they, uh, they did renditions of that. And it is unbelievable. Super, super cool. And uh, anyway, May- Maybell is, is my all-time favorite uh, 
Ida song. So I was getting a little defensive, Tim, when you were <laughs> dogging on those last two minutes. But, uh, you know, I understand. Steven's in for all 646 of that Can song. Can I add something um, uh, about the, about the lengths of the songs? Yeah. 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 Uh, I was just going to say, so knowing what we know that, that uh, Elizabeth is uh, somebody who works with children closely, I wonder if that is is uh like in any sort of a relation to the lengths of the songs in that you need to have a lot of patience you know like i feel like um and and to and to all of us you know i feel like we are deeper listeners than a lot of people so there are certain times when bands feel like they they need to kind of like take somebody there you know what i mean like you have to go on the journey and sometimes you want to hop off that journey before you know it's finished um so I just want to say that for something like Maybell or for something like Turn Me On um, or Shrug, like when they extend those sections out at the end there, I feel like they're just trying to get you into that space of like here, this is the this is the mood that we're creating and we're going to kind of take it to where we feel like it's its proper um, finale, you know, and like, I don't know, I personally really like that they do that, but I realize that it might be too long for certain people but then you have mm-hmm. like spiritualized will do cop shoot cop and it's 17 minutes you know what i mean and you have like a three minute noise section right and so it's okay it's okay when they do it you know but then there's this band who is normally just a completely quiet band but then they go kind of off sometimes and then you know that it's it becomes a length issue i think that um the reason why it works for me on a song like turn me on is that there's a pulse to that song with the having a rhythm section Whereas Maybell doesn't have that. So it floats a lot longer and I'm like waiting for it to some, I'm like, what's going to happen? You're what's going to happen? Like, where are we going? What's going on? Right. Where, where are we going? Uh, and, uh, but no, drink like the fizzy lifting, you got to drink the fizzy lifting drink, man. Ex- exactly. Um, I'm not inherently against longer songs, although people will attest that I'm, I'm the one who's like cut a minute off of this. Let's, you know, like I'm, I'm always post producing records, uh, whether it's the way that they're organized or, or whether they're too long, but it's just a matter of when, like, you know, I, I've listened to this, what, eight times over the last three days when I stop, like, if I don't even notice, like if I'm working or I'm paying attention to it and I start looking over like, how long has this song been on? Like, then I know, oh, the song's too long. You know what I mean? Whereas when, when like, Turn Me On is playing, I'm like, keep going. Yeah, I like this. I like this rhythm. This is going, like, that reminded me of, of, like I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically an uh, acoustic band covering like an uh, electronic sound. Uh, or or producing an electronic sound, I could listen to that for an hour. You know, if you find that right groove, just keep it going. Um, and I imagine that that would be a really cool song live too. But again, I have I we've already discussed my issues with regards to uh, to singer songwriter uh, uh, intimacy uh, issues. Intimacy it's just issues too intimate for too long. Too long. Too long. It's like tantric <laughs> intimacy. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> like okay, enough, Ernie. Right. I, I think we have to be realistic too. In terms, in part of what makes these reviews interesting is, is if you've heard, if you heard the experience, of the record when it came out, even as you know, people who pay attention to these things and listen more with more intent than the general population, 
we still live in 2021 with streaming services that have millions and millions of songs on them and like everything fighting for attention. So it's just a different, I just feel like it's a different experience listening to the record today uh, than it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago or however long the old records are. Um, And we try to bring some of that perspective to the reality of like, you know, our attention is being fought for every second. And, you know, it's harder to give yourself over to, you know, some, some of the songs that are, that are longer and didn't weren't, weren't created in this world. I just realized uh, I was looking at some notes on Wikipedia. Uh, Jay, you mentioned that you got an Elliott Smith vibe. And I, I also got that from some stuff. Tony Lash from Heat Miser was one of the producers on this record. So there's oh, your connection. Cool. Ah, interesting. The other the other production connection and uh, being a longstanding relationship between the band is Warren DeFever. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I got to shout him out as a Michigan native. He he resides in Livonia, Michigan, and he has recorded a lot of material for the band, and he's collaborated with them. Um, and he's from a band called His Name Is Alive, which is a lot like a, a lot like a band like Uncle, who's always featuring uh, guest vocalists and whatnot he usually works with them for an entire album whereas i feel like uncle usually does songs um like more song-based collaborations um mm-hmm. but yeah warren warren defever will usually work with a, a a different singer usually female singers if i'm not mistaken He's a, his name is alive has a huge discography um and i only know a select few records but very very musical and very very ambitious and uh yeah there there was a a relationship there and a connection they actually uh that the the ep um that ida released uh has like what four different versions of the song shrug on there it sounds like they would uh just very often times have jam sessions and catch all this stuff uh being recorded and yeah they have all all different types of versions of that song I'm surprised that uh, nobody has suggested his name is alive for our Same. album suggestion. Cause there's an, I mean, there's just looked at it. There's one, two, three, four, five albums from the nineties. And yet no one has suggested it. Have they Jay? That seems like that could, that should be rectified at some point. Yeah, I don't even, have they even showed up in a poll? I don't even know if they've no, shown up. No, I don't think so. Once. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Somebody's got to drop that in the uh, the suggestion bucket. There's um, another interesting connection with Ida. It's not this record specifically, but <clears throat> they had started playing shows in upstate New York and ended up befriending um, uh, Levon Helm from the band uh, and jamming like at his house, I guess, and they uh, became like jamming buddies and friends and whatnot and he he played on their last uh album oh that's so really cool. wow. Play drums uh it's his credits are on wikipedia i can't remember for sure huh. that's really cool i'm a huge fan of him what else what album is that is that lover's Lover, prayers lover's prayers yeah, lover's yeah. Prayers. that's my second favorite behind this one he plays drum uh, drums on one song called First Light, according to the Wikipedia. There you go. Very cool. But I know that they've performed together before uh, multiple times in upstate New York, which is pretty cool. I also want to I want to say something else, too, about uh, the Pitchfork review that was mentioned. Like it, it bums me out so much because 
uh, Pitchfork seems to be a place where a lot of people go when they hear about an album just to see the score, like not even necessarily read mm-hmm. the review. And it pisses me off so much because they're just they're so incredibly inconsistent. Um, you know, they praise stuff that like to me when I hear I'm just like, this is fucking joke. Like this is like garbage when they've given albums that I absolutely love ridiculous scores, you know, sometimes for just biases, you know. And I think like the whole Andrew WK thing that went down with Pitchfork automatically discredits all Pitchfork reviews in the future for me. Do you guys know what I'm what I'm talking about? That that 10 year gap. So they reviewed an Andrew WK album originally in the early 2000s and gave it like a 0.8 or something like that like it was like some some horrible review and then 10 years later for the anniversary of it they gave it an (laughs) 8.8 like an eight point difference okay like get get the fuck out of here like like in 10 years the album has went from being total garbage to being like like classic status like it just it makes me so mad that music when you see something like that yeah yeah that that like i'm just like fuck pitchfork reviews for life yeah. so please don't read the pitchfork reviews for these ida records hey hey you're uh you're pretty much explaining why we exist <laughs> we're, we're hoping that with some of these records there's at least some record there's some halfway in, in, insightful or in intelligent dialogue that exists about them outside of either all music or pitchfork so i feel like i'm not saying all pitchfork reviews are crap like they've done great reviews you know and i've gotten into a bunch of stuff because of that website but it's just like stuff like that just makes me so mad yeah Yeah. i feel like once Conde nasta bought them they kind of went hey um some of these are our business partners (laughs) and we're doing you know like it turned into basically not it's not entirely uh rolling stone at this point but you know Rolling Stone doesn't really take a shit on a new U2 record, yeah. no matter how bad it is. So because they have a relationship and Jan Wenner wants to be able to summer with Bono uh, <laughs> wherever. So, I mean, we all kind of want to summer with Bono, don't we? Sure. I mean, I'm sure he's summering in for some pretty nice places. Probably. I mean, probably like Turks and Caicos or something like that. You know, something cool. Uh, I This actually came up because there was a re... They do those... Re, like you said, they do those re-reviews now. And I guess they did one for Muse, which they have dumped on a lot of Muse records. But they for... Whether it was it like Origin of Symmetry, when that yeah, was that, re-released, yeah. then they gave it like a great review. And I'm like, I guarantee they took a dump on that record when it came out. Like, yeah, it seems like, why are they, it seems like they're uh, setting themselves up for, for uh, failure here with these re-reviews. Like, I can't imagine how those possibly get to ever turn out good. Because you're either saying like we were wrong the first time because we liked it or we were wrong the first time because we didn't like it. So like, why would I listen to you? Right. Maybe you're wrong this time. (laughs) Or what writer are you throwing under the bus from 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And even with the two Ida reviews that I read, these two records that are connected, like the the second reviewer references the first reviewer and he's like, yeah, I'm just going to repeat what this guy said because we're friends. It's like, are you fucking serious? (sighs) Okay, so this would be the point in the show where we talk about why this didn't maybe connect with a larger audience. Um I could see this as a band that 
you know, polyvinyl was a thing at this time, and those bands were touring a lot. There was a lot of there were a lot of indie labels in 2000, 2001. They were making like good progress in terms of getting bands out there. It was Saddle Creek, or you know, it was a variety of of those bands that were putting on these really interesting tours. Um, and I could see a band like this connecting, but in terms of like a mainstream audience, this would be really hard sell for i mean lowe's never connected it with a mainstream audience really and i mean they're a great band but you know they're never going to be uh the band that sells half a million copies the first week and and that kind of thing you know i mean they have a it's sort of a it's a niche audience which i kind of feel like this is the same thing yeah i i could also hear when i listen to this band there were moments where it it reminded me a bit of the early Death Cab records or that sound. And you could see like that band kept evolving, evolving and got more commercial. Yeah. And eventually did get there. So I, I guess it wouldn't be hard to imagine uh, this band going on a trajectory like that if they wanted to and chose to. Mm-hmm. The the thing I'm more puzzled about is, um, I mean, I know Rainer Maria. I know... Low, I know a lot of the bands we've talked about um, that are referenced either Aloha, like all, you know, either we talked about or mentioned as being similar. So it's a little strange to me that I just never heard of this band. Um, Yeah, that's true. And we were, you know, we were in a band at this time. We were like in clubs all the time. Like you just, a lot of those bands you just knew because they were always on flyers and stuff. Um, or you're reading their reviews in magazines or so it's kind of shocking to me that at least uh, they never got to the point where I, they even came across either of our radars. Well, what's interesting is when I went and looked at the label Tiger Style that this came out on, I recognized every other band. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, the album Leaf, uh, American Analog Set, Her Space Holiday, Rye Coalition, uh, you know, all these Ted Leo put out a seven inch on the, on this label. Um, I think, uh, Appleseed cast did some stuff. So, I mean, there was like, I, I recognize these names from like either touring, they were opening for bands or playing with bands, or they were like in the big takeover or whatever zine I was reading at the time. You could see the ads and you see the reviews. So, but I don't know how this one, yeah, I, I totally should have caught this because it's listening to all that other stuff, but for whatever reason, it did not uh, did not cross the radar, which is just weird. Uh, to well, be fair, I, I haven't met too many people in my life that have known Ida, and I know a lot, a lot of music people over the years. They really weren't on a lot of people's radars for some reason. Hmm. Was the Do you think the Columbia thing contributed to that, to make the release of the record? The major? Of, um, uh, I'm not sure. I, it may be that they just never really did a lot of touring and were just kind of popular word of mouth around New York, Philadelphia, New Jersey. Mm. Um, because regionally that's where most of the people that I know where they had known them from, you know, my friend from New York is who got me into them. You were under the impression they didn't tour a lot. Cause I, I, I'm venturing to guess that's how they met Warren to fever was by touring and they're hitting Michigan. Then I know they you know. toured Steve. I just don't know like the uh, extent of their touring. Yeah, nor do I, I'd be curious, to but know, I don't know if like that's how- it, you know, that's just a guess anyway. Yeah, I'd be curious to know how hard they were hitting it through the 90s. Like, you know, they started in 94, or this album came out in 94. I think, and they were on Simple Machines for those first uh, 
couple of records and they put out a lot of stuff. Uh, Scrawl from Columbus actually is one of the, one of their um, bands, but uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, I just surprised I didn't see them on some like, you know, tour of the, a lot of times those band those labels would put out like a multiple number of records and then they'd send all their bands out yeah. on a tour right. together. I'm, th- I'm thinking of Saddle Creek did that. A lot. Oh yeah. Used to see like cursive with, uh, you know, Azure Ray would open up or, or something like that. And I saw Curs- Cur- cursive Despacitos and white octave. And I'm pretty sure all of those three are Saddle Creek bands. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good show. I don't think that I don't think uh, did what active ever come through Columbus when you were here, Jay? I don't think, I think so. We're broken up by then. Oh, okay. Yep. Missed out on that one. All right. This is the point in the show. Steven knows this knew this is coming where we rate the record. We have uh, our Vadim. This is how it works. We either say, uh, and we, and we let our patrons vote as well. Worthy album. We deem this a worthy album. We say that this is a better EP or just a decent single. That's our that's our rating uh, format for this record. Now that doesn't mean that um, uh, for for better EP, that's your own sort of like, you know, an EP could be four songs, it could be seven songs. That's your sort of your your distinct your a, a decent single basically got an A side and a B side. That's it. We're going seven inch style here. So, uh, I will release the Patreon results shortly. But Jay, what is your rating for this record? Well, I know Steven's really hoping to break my EP streak here. <laughs> You've been on like a seven album EP streak, I think. I know. You're Nothing probably- is getting through. You're probably one song away from breaking it. I'm going to have to go with a better EP. Um, Damn. I got seven seven songs. Down, down on your back, Maybell, Shrug, Shotgun. I'm going to put Man in Mind on my EP. Whoa. Whoa. Fuck all you. That's <laughs> <laughs> the past. Thanks. Man, now I have to put an explicit Is it, is it because of the I will try to be kind, I will try to rewind thing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now I, I, I'm like, I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> it's an earworm. <laughs> Great. Uh, okay. So you went with a seven song EP. I'm going with a six song EP. Uh, Down your back, shrug, shotgun, turn me on, pass the past, and incant. I got talked into incantata. Uh, it wasn't on my list originally, but when I, I heard the, the discussion about it, I, I it was on the edge. <laughs> Steve lobbying on the show. He got lo- he got lobbied. He lobbied it. So hey, uh, you, next level. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Uh Steven. Yes, sir. You gotta this is the part where you tell us if it's a worthy album, <laughs> a better EP, or a decent. I know okay. you got the COVID. I know you're a little messed up right now, but uh, uh don't Maybe take the he- dewormer. This is a goddamn worthy album. Breaks my heart that y'all didn't hear an album's worth of material. Even me being critical on something that I love and go way back with, I would, on a, from a critical, I'd take nine songs. And I would, here's a cut. I would cut Man in Mind, Past the Past, Georgia, Firefly, and Don't Get Sad. Um, it's funny to me that both y'all chose Past the Past 
I think it even got propped out on uh, the comments in the Patreon. And that is just a I, song for, for... Go ahead. I particularly like that song because Pitchfork took a dump on it. They like they they like they like centered or, or or like singled it out as the worst song on the record, and I was like, well, now I love it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I because it, it got some love, I I was uh, giving it extra evaluation, and yeah, I love everything that's going on in it, but for some reason, the vocals do not tie that one together for me. So anyway, yeah, there's my critical nine song uh, worthy album. Okay, that'd probably be a good good vinyl record right there. Probably get a solid, uh, you know, forty something minutes out of that. Yeah, Kadeem. Yeah, I would. I would cut. I think I would cut four. You know, make a ten song like ten song is a proper full length. But but you know, four songs is not enough to say that it's it's not uh, worthy as an album. You know, I I, I really do think um, that this deserves to be heard. You know, it's it's definitely not for everybody. But I mean, those clean guitar tones, like the tones on this record alone are just like worthy of people uh, checking, checking them out. And I really think that uh, this record is a pretty good encapsulation of of that time period. And a lot of those bands that you kind of describe the uh, the polyvinyl and the Jade Tree and the Saddle Creek kind of era of like early emo, quote unquote, music or, you know, whatever. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't really have too many complaints about the record. And, and also it does it does bring back a lot of memories of New York, um, where they're based out on. It's a very New York record, you know, um, put on your coat and your hat and your gloves and go walking. Uh, some of the lyrics on the record, you know, the radiator, you know, brings to mind like being cold in, the, in a freezing uh, New York apartment. There's just there's so much of that throughout throughout this record. I really think um, I, I would say that's it's definitely worthy as a full length. Well, our patrons agreed with you two. They went 50% worthy album, 33% better EP, and 17% decent single, which I think one person uh, went decent single, and that person uh, clearly uh, had a bone to pick. So, And it wasn't uh, Willie Dillon because he couldn't rate it. But uh, the majority went with worthy album, so congratulations on uh on uh, swaying the crowd there steven you got your you got what you wanted you politicked in the discord channel and uh made it happen so uh well done uh thank you thank you, you want to give a speech to... on your victoriousness there yeah yeah uh no it's it's one final closing note vadim kind of mentioned the scene that ida kind of developed or maybe even more just a community uh but i have this here live uh angel hall cd and it's got uh eight tracks from ida and then two from low two from his name is alive and three from the secret stars and angel hall is um actually it's called the angel Orinsands. not sure on pronunciation uh foundation and it's in new york city and this this was a, a benefit that they did um the show was a benefit for South Brooklyn Legal Services HIV project. They provide legal advocacy for people living with HIV. Um, and, you know, we give plenty more information here about, about the cause. But, yeah, so this is a really fantastic performance. It's what, whatever that facility is. I don't know if it's meant for music or not. It just sounds like a natural reverb chamber. So everything just had this, like, big, booming natural reverb. And I think this was very... Uh, it says it was recorded 
uh, on a portable DAT recorder, you know, so the quality is, is, is what it is, but you get, uh, there must've been metal chairs in there and you get this like weird eerie background noise of the, the creaking of the metal chairs as people are like readjusting themselves. So it really <laughs> kind of adds to the ambiance in, in a really strange and beautiful way. And so I want to just challenge anyone who, uh, who's going to write this record off to give this a listen. I will happily send it to you. I just ripped it actually. It, my previous, uh, uh itunes 192 rip was just not cutting it anymore uh so we got the we got the official 320 mp3 rip here anybody who wants it i'll send it to you because you can't really find this thing it's certainly not streaming uh but you can hear what they do live and and it's just they're an amazing band they're truly truly an amazing band and if you go to spotify the 1982 record gentig gentig tayub uh, is not uh, actually their record. Just want to let you know that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a classic wow. situation of... Uh, 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 there's also um, a 2020 single called Sunrise, which uh, looks like uh might be a country single, might be some some country, modern country. I'm not sure. Yeah, their their um, artist profile art on um, Apple Music is like a... It looks like a teen pop star or something. It looks like Britney Spears, <laughs> like like blonde hair. Like, yeah. why is it so hard to get this thing to get this stuff correct on streaming? I is don't that, understand. Is that ID three tagging or is it like what? What does it come down to? Uh, I think it's just how the how it's submitted and nobody goes in and curates it. So like, you know, five different services submit somebody named Ida and I, Apple's like, okay, it's almost the same person. <laughs> it's all the same artist. Yeah. Nobody calls them and says, hey, <laughs> these are different. Shout out to uh, Good Fight Entertainment, Hollow Earth record. Well, they did for us. There you go. Somebody's got to do we it. Had, we had some other hacky Hollow Earth hanging out with us, and we were like, ah, uh, nah. <laughs> you know, our, uh, our listeners know, and, and I'm, if they don't know, they can they can find out about it over at uh, digmeoutpodcast.com, but we do a weekly uh, newsletter called The Box, and I learned this week that there is a hip-hop artist named Belly who just put out a record. Uh, apparently, uh, Belly the band, uh, who just put out a record like two years ago, uh, aren't protecting their copyright because Belly the hip-hop artist, it was, I mean, it wasn't like a little release. It was like folk featured on Metacritic, and I was like, what the hell? Yeah. I stopped using the uh, Apple music gives you like a weekly, like new music playlist. That's supposed mm-hmm. to be smart. And it was, it's it would so just dumb. be a list of like new artists reusing old artists names. <laughs> We're like, okay, these are not any of the, ba- and I don't want to say I don't like it because then I'll tell the algorithm that I don't like the real band. So I'm like, I, this is worthless to me now. Thanks. Yeah. You know, I noticed that um, on Spotify's release radar, there will be an artist who pops up and it'll be some song and then it'll have like four other artists who are major artists yeah. like linked on that song. And I'm like, are they just doing this to get like plays? So that people will click on this thinking like it, like it was literally like it was Cinderella and kicks. And I was like, wait a minute. Are you trying to, are you trying to get plays off of the kicks fan, uh, uh, fan right. base? Right, right, right. The irony is that those royalties are going to be going to that artist. I don't understand. The original artist? 
Yeah, I mean, if yeah. if it get, if it picks up, that's what's going to happen. Interesting. Well, Stephen, the Deem, thank you for uh, sharing this record with us. Uh, we would never would have discovered it without Mm-mm. you doing so, and and I'm guessing a lot of our listeners would have never heard it uh, as well for whatever reason. This just didn't come across our radar uh, in 2000. So, thank you because this was a this was a cool listen. And um, some of this will be going into my my uh, my private little dig me out uh, playlist of all the stuff that we've ever uh, reviewed, and uh, where I take my EPs cool. and my decent singles and my worthy albums and slap them all in there into one big <laughs> stew. Thanks, we need thanks. something uh, from the early '90s from you, Stephen. Next time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Get on that. I need to see where you're at. <laughs> Have you guys ever done nude swirl? Is that a band that's come up? No. Uh, no. Uh, I know that name. I they only had, I dropped they it had in the record. It's awesome. Why I do I want to say the, they're from? Where were they from? Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I dropped it in the Discord, and 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 a few people knew of it. So oh, that's cool. I feel like I've seen that CD or or a, a nude swirl CD in in you know, years ago when I used to go through CD use bins in a dollar bin somewhere. Yeah. Well, not even a dollar bin, but just like, uh, use kids here in Columbus would have just, you know, three and $5 used CDs based on whatever they deemed it. I don't yeah. think they ever had a dollar section. Oh, I should but, tell uh, you, I have a nickname for Steve. Uh, he's Steve. So Steve is the official, uh, King of the dollar bin classics. Yeah. Because like, Every time I'm over his house, I find like I'm like, why do you have the third collective soul CD in your in your, in your collection? He's like, like you know, it was just a CDs that yeah, it was a dollar. No one should have. Or oh, there was a dollar somewhere. Hey, we just reviewed that CD. No, no kidding. <laughs> I just that was just an example I threw out, but there's lots of those. <laughs> yeah, true. And and would you believe? Jay gave it an EP. <laughs> did, did you or did you give it a worthy album? I'm trying to remember. I thought he gave it a worthy album, which he might, really, that might... really ruffled my feathers on some of those other EPs. <laughs> hey, this Ida record is no collective soul. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> the world is off its axis. We don't even want to talk about Slint. Oh, oh, oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised uh, I haven't gotten threats. I'm going to go make some dinner. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Yep, we're going to wrap up right here. Thank you, Fadim. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I want to remind people they can go to uh, patreon.com to, through uh, Dig Me Out Union or Dig, or DMO Union. And also they can go to uh, digmeoutpodcast.com to suggest an album, join the Box newsletter, and uh, leave a positive review over at Apple Podcasts. So uh, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. <laughs>